Blog Talk Radio. Pleasure as we 
live our lives. The problem is, is uh, first of all, if we look at our sort of uh, orienting principle uh, or, or perspective on happiness, I want to harken back to an author that I've um, referred to in, uh, times in the past, um, who's Mark Epstein. He's a, a psychiatrist in New York and has written extensively on um, the parallels, the overlaps, the common ground between Western and Eastern psychology, particularly Buddhist uh, practice and, and mindfulness. And in, in a book called How to Fall to Pieces Without Falling Apart, uh, which is a terrific book. I encourage you to read it, particularly if you're um, dealing with any kind of depressive disorder. He takes an overview to sort of compare the the approaches. And generally speaking, from the Western psychology uh, point of view or practice or methodology, it's based on the notion that uh, we examine our pathology. What is wrong with us um, and how do we correct the problem? So it's based on the disease model, as it's known in in the uh, psychological terminology. And uh, so the um, way forward with that model is to fix the problem. And that is primarily to strengthen the ego. And so you look for ego strengthening, you look for developing a person's sense of character. Now, that has varying results. I mean, it just depends on how much stability the person can develop, what's going on in their life. And, of course, there's, you know, neurobiological, psychobiological processes that are happening, you know, that have to be um, maintained so that biochemically, you you know, you can function and, and have proper levels of chemicals going on in your body to facilitate, um, you know, that, that sense of, of being okay. Now, from the Eastern point of view, if we look at something like depression, and this is uh, uh, Mark Epstein's uh, analysis, is that the, the the Buddhist orientation is that we are not fundamentally flawed, that um, when we try and use those same tools that have got us ensnared in the first place, primarily the fixation on the ego, a fixed, that there's a fixed sense of self. And so then, therefore, that fixed sense of self, if it's broken, has to be repaired. And um, from the Buddhist point of view, it really is trying to undo that uh, layered structure and that uh, conceptual idea of our self, capital S, self, uh, so that we don't have that sort of rigid... Um, you know, self-constraining um, relationship uh, to our experience. And therefore, as that self is allowed to dissolve, we're able to relate to that foreboding sense of uh, gloom or depression or that uh, sense that there's a void that we don't want to fall into. And instead, we accept that the nature of our existence is that we have no control, that the void is from which we emerge and not to which we return. And therefore, there's a sense of sort of non, non-aggressiveness towards that. That is not something outside of ourselves that we have to fear, or that something that we feel is penetrating us internally. Uh, this helplessness to this great void, which you could call existential crisis, I guess. And um, and therefore, there's a sort of a relaxation with the whole situation. That we recognize that we're kind of timid creatures, you know, on our on our journey in this existence, and that is we can relax into that, kind of like you would if you were 
relaxing into something that made you anxious, like uh, a medical procedure or you know a job interview, that it makes the experience a lot easier. So it's a whole different way of approaching, and hence the title of that book is that you can fall apart without completely being destroyed. Now this comes back to looking at um, happiness as a trait, as something that we can um, redefine and look at in a, in a universal sense. And it gets us away from this um, very personalized point of view that there's something, and this harkens back to our last program, that there's something particularly wrong with us, that we are, because we are all subjective beings, it's very easy to think that our particular subjective experience um, isolates us, that we are unique in our experience to the extent that it defines us and whatever problems we have um, you know, isolate us from the rest of humanity. And um, part of that problem is, again, taking that sort of disease model approach. In recent years, in the last decade, there are uh, a group of uh, founding psychologists the, the the forefront of which is um, Dr. Mar- Martin Seligman, who have uh, established a new form of psycho- psychology and psycho- psychological research called positive psychology. And so, as they describe in their um, in in their literature and in in their uh, approach to to psychology, you know, the last 60 years of uh, psychological inquiry. And research and that whole disease model has had benefits. I mean, it's allowed us to look at um, what causes mental disorders. And in in Seligman's words, it's allowed us to a certain extent to make miserable people less miserable. So if you look at the mission of, uh, you know, the Buddhist teaching and practice, it is to, you know, cease suffering in the world, to, to ease or to end suffering. Um, but the suffering is not understood from the same point of view as it would be in, in th- that um, disease model of, of psychology, which is that there's an inherent disorder that that that's kind of can transfers from one person to another, almost like a virus. In the in the Buddhist understanding, it is the nature of mind itself, and it's that sort of universal uh, struggle that we all have with 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 um, our self identity, with our need to um, try and boost up our levels of of pleasure or grasping or um, being re- relating to our external experience that that creates the suffering for us because we are kind of having a materialistic approach to it. It's almost like um, if I can just make myself happy all the time, I won't have to feel you know sadness or grief or depression. And so, in the positive psychology, they're kind of mirroring that approach of the Buddhist uh, path. And uh, I won't get too much into that because they're looking at markers of how to live a happy life and how to en- and how to engage in life in a way. And then the research that they've done extensively uh, that shows that there are certain characteristics and traits that um, go with you know long-lasting happiness. But from the mindfulness point of view, getting back to happiness being a skill, we know now through uh, uh, scientific research in the last decade that the brain is much more plastic than we thought in the sense that it is able to um, change its very structure and reorder itself um, based on um, habits, based on uh, repeated activity. And so we know this with neuromuscular activity, for example, with um, you know practicing violin or 
where there's been injuries and the body has to rehabilitate and, and reassign you know, nerve impulses to a, a different area, if there's been a stroke or there's been a physical injury, then uh, the brain can rewire and, and the neurons can fire and, and actually strengthen the cortical, the brain activity in that area. And so this is something that can be actively pursued through mindfulness and mind training. And the general principle here is that what is, going back to the Epstein book, what gives us a pervading sense of well-being is to know that it's not our personal struggle, that we all have inherited this kind of uh, response of, of the brain and the mind to try and grasp onto fleeting pleasure. And so if you can recognize that this is something that's universal to all beings, then it kind of relieves us of that personal victimology or pathologizing that it is our unique problem and somehow we have to hold this in, in secret. And again, we can kind of relax with that and work with that. And so we can turn our gaze inward rather than looking outward at how do we make ourselves happy. I don't have enough of this, i.e. money, friends, um, you know, um, activity, success in my career. Those are all external things. But when you look at your, uh, uh, when we look at our internal workings, how the mind works, and recognize that it's it's that repeated activity of obsessing on the outer world that can trip us up, then we can work with that. We can understand and observe those processes, and that's where the neuroplasticity comes into play. That we can rework and relax that that psychic muscle, if you will, from being obsessed and and overworking in one way, and to um, habituating to a more calm and more friendly kind of orientation towards ourselves. Now, again, I'm not talking about mental disorders here. I'm not talking about deep depression, although mindfulness mind training can affect that. But I'm talking about just a general sense of uh, extending a sort of loving kindness towards ourselves like we would to a friend who's not feeling well. Well, unfortunately, today got cut a little bit short on top of... Uh, uh, shortening the format of the program, uh, but I hope that I've introduced you to this topic. And please uh, visit my blog, and it's at uh, mindful-whisper or sorry, mind-whisper at uh, blog .ca. You can find the link here on uh, Blog Talk Radio at the Mind Whisperer. And I hope you've enjoyed today's program. If you're listening uh, to the archive, it's, it was a little bit. Uh, uh, jumbled today, but uh, I hope you have found some of the information useful and you can take it forward and do some research on your own into how to practice this kind of uh, new approach to, to living and uh, happiness in a new way. Take care and we'll see you next time.